You're listening to a Cripple and Co. production. Hey, Andrew, how are you? Hey, Kristen. I'm okay, but if I'm really honest, I haven't been doing super great lately. I'm kind of super, really, really down. Oh no, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, you and I talk all the time. We talk every day. And you know I've been thinking about going to therapy. But I've been to Mm -hmm. therapists before. And I'm afraid that a therapist wouldn't understand all my disability stuff. And you know how much I love talking about disability, right? Yeah, I hear you have like a whole podcast about it. Right? I mean, I talk about it all the time, everywhere. And I'm just worried that I don't want to explain to a therapist, like, what is ableism? What is disability? Like, I don't want to do that before we get into my stuff you know yeah that's fair you shouldn't have to like fully educate a therapist before starting a therapeutic process and I think that's really hard because honestly you deserve support from someone who gets it you get it you're my best you, like you're my best friend you get it what do you think I should do I mean I think you should find a disability informed support person to help you work through this if anyone listening to this is interested I'm actually offering disability informed support for $40 per session. Whoa, whoa, $40 a session? That's super cheap. The last time I checked, one session was like over a hundred bucks, but we can still talk about disability stuff, right? Oh, absolutely. Like everything from like physical changes in your body to ableism and exploring internalized ableism, grief that comes with disability, chronic pain, all that good, terrible stuff that so many of us live it's so fun isn't it it's like so great yes and i i know you also do you also offer support for non-disabled people too right yeah i do support for able-bodied and non-disabled people as well because really i mean everyone gets sick or experiences illness or vulnerability at some time in their life and well that's a different experience than living with chronic disability i think it's all very related and if you're going through any sort of life change where you're having grief related to bodily change or body difference, I'm more than happy to support you with that as well. I think everybody deserves and needs affordable support. I think that it's such a great thing you're offering, and I want to make sure that all the lovely listeners of Disability After Dark can reach you. How do they do that? Okay, well, right now they can reach me by email. It's Kristen, K-R-I-S-T-E-N, dot Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S, one zero at gmail.com and you can email me there to ask me questions or uh, let me know if you'd like more information or you can go straight to booking a support session with me awesome well i i can't i can't speak any more highly of this amazing thing i'm so excited that there's finally disability centered support for stuff like ableism and for stuff like internalized ableism and all the stuff that we go through that we never get to talk about and thank you so much for offering it and for putting yourself out there, Kristen. Aw, thanks, Andrew. I hope you feel better soon. Me too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Clonawilly.com. Clona Willy and Clona Pussy are do-it-yourself molding kits that allow anyone to make an exact replica of any penis or vulva into a sex toy at home. All materials are ethically sourced and 100% body safe. 
If you shop at clonawilly.com right now and use the promo code DARKPOD at checkout, you can get 20% off site-wide. Wow! That's a deal that cannot be cloned. I talked to one of the representatives the other day, and they are more than willing to answer any questions you have about how to make your own clone willy or clone pussy, how to use the kit. They're so, so willing to go on this journey of cloning a willy or cloning a pussy with you, and they're super nice and super responsive to any concerns. So if you want to pick up your own clone willy or clone a pussy kit right now, head over to clonawilly.com and use promo code DARKPOD, that's D-A-R-K-P-O-D at checkout right now. And remember, this is a deal that cannot be cloned. This episode of Disability After Dark has been brought to you by Come As You Are. Come As You Are is Canada's only worker-owned co-op sex shop. Trans-owned and operated, Come As You Are carefully reviews and curates their selection of sex toys, books, and DVDs. Now you can get 15% off your next purchase at comeasyouare.com using coupon code AFTERDARK. We call it Slicking the Bean. Choking the chicken, giving yourself a hand, auditioning finger puppets. There's a million and one names for the old five-finger shuffle, and yet hundreds of millions of people are unable to sauce the taco due to disability, aging, or illness. That's where we come in, if you'll pardon the phrase. At Bumpin', we've created the world's first accessible sex toy, so people with limited mobility, hand issues, and disabilities can celebrate Palm Sunday just like everyone else. If you agree that everyone deserves sexual pleasure, help us spread the self-love and fund an orgasm for those in need. Give the gift of the big O at getbumpin.com. That's G-E-T-B-U-M-P-N dot com. Hey there, Disability After Dark listeners, Andrew here. I want to tell you all about a cool project that my friends over at the Sex Information and Education Council of Canada, or CCAN, are doing. And you'll want to listen closely, because this project is all about sex. CCAN is developing resources for service providers to improve sexual health promotion for autistic and disabled youth, and they need your help. If you are a service provider like a teacher, doctor, occupational therapist, physical therapist, speech-language pathologist, social worker, personal support worker, or maybe you work in the community, they want to hear from you. They want to know what you need to promote sexual health with the autistic and disabled youth you support. Go check out the online survey they're doing right now at www.inclusivesexualhealth.ca. But CCAN doesn't just want to hear from service providers. Are you an autistic and disabled person between 16 and 24 years old? CCAN is doing focus groups between September 20th and September 23rd to learn about the sexual health information and resources that would be most helpful to you. Maybe you have an interesting or awkward dating or relationship experience you want to tell them about. Or maybe you have some tips for service providers you want to share. Go to www.ccan.org and scroll down to the latest news to get more info. You can also email inclusivesexualhelp at ccan.org to learn more about the project. 
And not to worry, listeners, all of this information will be available in the show notes of today's episode. And now, on to the show. Content warning. The language, content, and discussion found within this episode of Disability After Dark will be explicit. Listener discretion advised. This is a podcast that looks at disability stories. It's like sitting down with a really close friend to have a real conversation about disability, sexuality, and everything else about the disability experience that we don't talk about. The things about being disabled, we keep in the dark. Here is your deliciously disabled host, disability awareness consultant, Andrew Gerza. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome to the show, friends. And thank you so much for clicking on the on this... Oh, let me try again. On this brand new episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on disability stories. Hello! I'm your deliciously disabled daddy host, Andrew Gerza. Let's get comfy, cozy, and crippled and get the show started, shall we? So, this is the beginning of our first themed month on Disability After Dark, and I wanted to do a whole month of of great flicks and joysticks where we review disability film and we review disability media and I just wanted to do a really comfy, cozy kind of month where I didn't have any guests and where we, you and me, the listener, could reconnect to each other and it was just you and me having a talk about disability film and so I've been teasing about doing the the movie Crip Camp for years and years now on this Dunn channel and I just never, I procrastinated really badly and never got around to it. I mean, I even had the privilege and the honor of speaking with Judy Human back episodes ago, and I was so awestruck talking with, with such a pioneer of disability rights that I felt it was kind of important that I go back and I review Crip Camp and I review what an amazing person she is through that movie, and I just wanted to talk about that movie. So what we're going to do now is we're going to... I'm going to tell you a little bit about Crip Camp and a little bit about what it is all about, and then we're going to play the trailer, and then we're going to dive right in to the movie. So get comfy, cozy, and crippled. Get some popcorn if you want to If you want to um, watch along with me as I review the movie. You can go on Netflix, and it's totally available there. Um, so get yourselves ready, get some popcorn, get comfy, cozy, and crippled, and let's get started. So here's a little bit about Crip Camp from Wikipedia that I got right off Wikipedia. Crip Camp, A Disability Revolution, is a 2020 American documentary film directed, written, and co-produced by Nicole Noonan and James Lebrecht. Barack Obama and Michelle Obama serve as executive producers under their Higher Ground Productions banner. Hey, hey, Michelle and Barack, if you ever want to produce another documentary about cool disabled people, I am down. Let me know. I would love to be in a documentary produced by you. Oh, wow. So this, the premise of this, this movie, Crip Camp, if you have not seen it, Crip Camp starts at 1971 at Camp Jeanette, a summer camp in New York described as a loose, free-spirited camp designed for teens with disabilities. And that's literally the premise of the film. And so now we're going to, uh, we're going to jump into the trailer and then I'll be back to talk to you about the film itself. So let's, uh, 
this is episode one of the Great Flicks and Joysticks themed month, so let's do it. Um, here's the trailer, and we'll go right back to talking about the film in a minute. What, you want me to tell them what happened? <laughs> well, two people got cramps, and they're spreading. <laughs> we were all very hyper about it. And I have to go shower some people. I'll see you later. I wanted to be part of the world, but I didn't see anyone like me in it. I hear about a summer camp for the handicapped run by hippies. Somebody said you probably will smoke dope with the counselors, and I'm like, sign me up. Have to catch Janet and find yourself. There I was. I was at Woodstock. You wouldn't be picked to be on the team back home, but at Janet, you had to go up the back. Even when we were that young, we helped empower each other. It was allowing us to recognize that the status quo is not what it needed to be. The world always wants us dead. We live with that reality. At the time, so many kids just like me were being sent to institutions. It was just a continual struggle. Most disabled people, like myself, are unable to use public transportation. We needed a civil rights law of our own. A rehabilitation program has been vetoed by the president because it was cost prohibitive. We decided we were going to have a demonstration. You get the call to action. To the barricades. A small army of the handicapped have occupied this building for the past 11 days. So many people from Camp Jeanette found their way into the building. The FBI cut off the phones. The deaf people went, we know what to do. That's how we communicated to the people outside the building. The Black Panther Party would bring a hot meal. We were like this. We are the strongest political force in this country. We will no longer allow the government to oppress disabled individuals. And I would appreciate it if you would stop shaking your head in agreement when I don't think you understand what we are talking about. What we saw at that camp was that our lives could be better. If you don't demand what you believe in for yourself, you're not going to get it. I said like to see um, the handicapped people depicted as people. Excuse me? <laughs> All right, so that was the trailer of Crip Camp. Let's get comfy, cozy with our popcorn and get ready and dive right into the film. And let's do it right now. Before before I talk a little bit more about the film, I want to say that I have, hadn't seen it in about two years. I watched it once right after it came out on Netflix. And this rewatch of me watching Crip Camp, I have never... I cried so much during this rewatch in the last... Like, it's an hour and 48 minutes, and I must have cried from the, from one of the very first scenes, which I'll get to right now. All the way through, it was such a powerful film, and and I'll talk more about why I was crying throughout. But if you haven't seen it, get your tissues ready because, wow, it definitely made me, it made me tear up multiple times for multiple different reasons. But the opening scene of the film is a black and white recording of disabled people talking about how they want handicapped people 
to be seen as people, and they use handicapped people because at that time, in 1971, that was the language that we used to describe disabled people. And they use disabled throughout, too, but handicapped is used a lot, a lot throughout here, and I just wanted to make clear that in 1971, this is the language that we had to describe disabilities, and it's what people use. So, the very first image of disabled people saying in black and white that they want to be represented and seen as people is such an important image. And right away, if you don't know anything else about this film, when you see this scene of young disabled people talking about wanting to be seen as people, it's so powerful. And for me as a disabled person, it drew me in almost immediately. And I was like, immediately I felt like, oh, this is a movie about me. This is a movie about my people. I immediately felt represented. And I feel like if you're a non-disabled person watching Crip Camp and you see that, I hope that the, you know, seeing the images of disabled people right away and hearing them say, we want to be seen as people, intrigues you enough to pay attention. So from here, we are introduced to the main character that, to one of the main characters throughout the film, Jim Lebrecht, through a tape piece. It's like an old news coverage where showing him kind of in his day job at at a theater and he then does a voiceover and tells us about his childhood and being allowed to go to the first grade public school when so many other kids were in institutions. He talks about being born with spina bifida and how his sister was allowed to be in the brownies but he wasn't allowed to be a Cub Scout because of his disability. He talks kind of about um, his dad saying, you know, you're going to have to go up to people because they won't go up to you. And really kind of should kind of Jim talks about, he talks about being, you know, realizing that his world was going to be different because he had spider it and just realizing all the barriers that were in front of him. And I, you know, seeing those old images of Jim Lebrecht and seeing all these images of disabled people, I was immediately fascinated with this because I love the idea of seeing disabled people throughout history and seeing kind of what their worlds were like. And, and at, right at the beginning of the film, you see that with Jim Lebrecht. You see him as a child um, kind of getting around his house with spina bifida and seeing that. I love when films show us uh, the history of of people, especially disabled people, and the film does that quite beautifully. So Jim tells us that he had heard about a summer camp run for the handicapped by hippies. No, sorry. A summer camp run for the handicapped by, run by hippies. And so the documentary starts by telling us that it's 1971, and Jim narrates his first time going to Camp Jeanette. So Camp Jeanette is where all this stuff happens. And so he talks about kind of going on the bus and going to this camp and being 15 and all these things. And the imagery when the kids get to camp of all these people with cerebral palsy who are blind, with intellectual disabilities, it was so, again, so empowering to see the imagery of disabled people just having camp. This is something we never see. And it was it's still... Such a powerful image. And again, we're only like three minutes into the documentary and I've, I've already written like 
five notes, but it's so powerful to see this imagery of disabled people at camp enjoying themselves. And to me, when I watched it, it felt like home. And, you know, they have some talking heads of the non-disabled counselors talking a little bit about how they became involved in Camp Jeanette and hearing them talk about their own uncertainty about, oh, they've never seen so many disabled people before, they didn't know what to do, they were unsure, and kind of unpacking their own ableism around disabled people and talking about their own fears of wanting to work with disabled people and wanting to do this, but having no idea how to do it. And I felt that seeing this on tape and seeing the non-disabled counselors talking about how much they wanted to be a part of it, but they were scared, was important because I feel like that's how so many non-disabled people today feel when they interact with a disabled person. They're scared, and they want to do the right thing, but they have no idea what the fuck to do. And I think seeing that on a big scale, on a Netflix show about disability, seeing disabled people say, I wanted to be a part, but I was scared is really important, and I'm glad, so glad that they included that here. From there, we hear some of the, the past campers talking about how Camp Jeanette was a utopia, and how it was a utopia because you felt included because you were with other disabled people, and it made me, th- it made me think of all the times that I was at summer camp as a disabled kid. I went to camps in Ontario, Canada from the time I was six years old until the time I was 18, I went to summer camp every summer. I just burped right there. Oops, sorry. So from the time I was six to 18, I went to summer camp. Camp Lakewood was one of my main camps. Camp Blue Mountain was one of my main camps. Camp Marywood was one of my main camps. I went to so many summer camps for disabled kids every summer and that feeling of utopia that feeling that they're talking about of being um, feeling like it's home is so true so so true and it's completely freeing and you just feel okay because finally there are other people that look like you so then we meet the camp director Larry Allison who talks about him from a tape piece from some years ago because he passed away in 2014, but he talks about that it wasn't the disabled people that were the problem. It was the non-disabled people who had to figure out how to navigate the world with disabled people in it. And that's what he wanted to do with the camp, was to give disabled people a place where, for once, they were not the problem. And there's a there's a really nice, funny tape piece of him talking about how important the camp was and why he wanted to do it. And so that was I was really happy to see that in there. I was happy to see the unity between non-disabled people and disabled people through this camp. I loved it. From there, Jim, young Jim, or Jim, Jim in a voiceover, talks about what it was like being 15, going to camp, and needing to wear diapers because of his disability and the pressure on him being so young to try to hide the fact that he had to wear diapers. And when I tell you that I felt so seen when he said that, when I was watching the film, that's one of the moments where I started to cry because I'm 38 and I wear diapers probably every other day 
because of my IBS and because of my disabilities. So to hear Jim Lebrecht tell me at 15 that he had to wear diapers too and he also felt shame about it, it made me feel... Watching that one little piece made me feel like I wasn't alone and made me feel like I wasn't... Like I shouldn't be ashamed about it. And I don't know, it just made me feel very, very included. And I'm so happy that, you know, they talked about diapers and they talked about... And later in the film, as we'll get to, they talk about catheters and they talk about all these things that we never hear on television. I'm just so proud that they put it in there because these are the things of our daily lives as disabled people that we need to hear and we need to see on screen. And the fact that they talked about this stuff is rare, but so fucking necessary. So then after Jim tells us that he was 15, feeling the pressure to hide the fact that he had to wear diapers, we then meet the living legend herself, young Judy Human, as a counselor at 23. And I'll say again, having talked with Judy Human some episodes ago, I just think Judy Human is just such an amazing person. And I I am just so honored that I got to, to sit down with her for the episode that we did. I think it was episode 216. I mean, it's Judy Human. She's She is truly the mother of the disability rights movement. Really and truly she is. Um, so then we meet her in a... She's about 23 at the camp. And she says, you know, through a tape piece that she didn't have a lot of role models growing up and she didn't have a lot of people that looked like her growing up. So this really struck a chord with me because, as we all know, Judy is such a role model for the rest of us who are disabled and just doing the thing. I was so proud to see her there. And it was cool to see Judy, this like revered person at 23, being a camp counselor, talking about like camp and lunches and how they're going to do camp stuff. It was really, really cool to see her like that. And then as she's telling a little bit about her story, Judy recounts growing up that she was going to a shop with one of her, one of her friends in, in her wheelchair and a boy stopped and asked her if she was sick. And she recounts that she felt taken aback. She didn't really have language for what she was feeling, but she felt angry. And I think I think what I love about this part of the documentary is that she talks about how it made her feel. And I think it's important that we listen to how people talk about how ableism makes them feel. And I talk about how ableism makes me feel all the time. But to know that it gave her a visceral reaction is just a reminder that there is a feeling to ableism and we need to we need to recognize that and talk about it more. Judy then talks about being homeschooled and how she couldn't go to school because of her disabilities, but then there was an opening in, in her special ed class, and many of the people who she would later go to Camp Jeanette with were in that class with her. And she said that all those students in that special ed class understood in some way that they were being sidelined. And I think this is such a critical reminder of how ableism isn't a, isn't just a term that we should all learn about and all understand and all recognize, but ableism is 
a feeling that all disabled people at some point have to contend with whether or not we have language for it. And her saying that all those students in that special ed class knew on some level that they were being sidelined is is just a testament to how ableism feels. One of the things that you see throughout this film as you're watching and something that I craved so much more of in this in this documentary was just seeing disabled people talking. It is such a simple concept to see just to film disabled people talking, but because we never really see a lot of disabled people together, it feels groundbreaking. And I tell you, every time there was a group of disabled people just talking about their lives in this film, I started to cry because every time I saw that, I saw myself having conversations with other disabled people about my life and some of the hard parts of my life and to know that they had these conversations back in the 70s and long before then too but to see it on film to see it that way is so so important and I just think we need more film of just disabled people talking like I was as I was as I was watching I kind of was like should I change the name of this podcast from disability after dark to disabled people talking because really that's kind of what where I get my joy from is just sitting with other disabled people and talking so to see this in this film was really really powerful for me and I cried multiple times and then we meet one of the campers one of the past campers Denise who has cerebral palsy talking about the hierarchy of disability and how the quote polios or people with polio were on top were seen as were seen as more normal and the and the CPs were on the bottom and this was really heartbreaking to watch as somebody with cerebral palsy because I have always seen the disability hierarchy in action I always knew it was there but it's something we don't talk about enough and so to see Denise and to hear Denise talk about the disability hierarchy was really affirming because it was a reminder to me of all the work we have to do and all the work that we have to um, to do to stop ableism within our own communities. So as Denise is telling us about the the hierarchy of disability, then we meet Neil and Denise again. Neil and Denise are partners, and they both have severe cerebral palsy, and they are married from having met at Camp Jeanette. As somebody who, and this scene was groundbreaking for me, as somebody who thinks and constantly thinks that I'll never be able to marry because of my disabilities, and I'll never be able to have a partner because of my disabilities, and I'll never be able to find love, this, seeing this on screen, seeing two power wheelchair users in love as husband and wife on screen was, and still is, one of the most important scenes on um, on a film for disabled people that I think we've ever seen. 
was so powerful and it was so important to see them together and to know they met at crip camp just warms my it warms it warms the cockles of my crippled heart to see that and to know that they got together and they're still together today so then we we move into another talking head by Jim Lebrecht and he his younger the his younger self is talking about making out relationships dating etc in the context of disability and again on such a big scale to see this on Netflix is so 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 fucking important and then there's a part where there's a part where all of the people at the camp get crabs because they're all they all they're finding themselves they're having sexual freedom they're having great sex and they're enjoying themselves and there's footage of people having to take the mattresses out and burn them and burn all the clothes and do big removals because everybody was getting crabs and it was spreading and I thought that was fucking hilarious because no one thinks that disabled people can fuck and this is clear and unequivocal unequivocal evidence that yes we do fuck we do get STIs and it's okay and I just thought to see that on film to see for anybody who Whoever thought that disabled people don't have sex lives or don't want sex lives, this is proof that yeah we do, and yes we get STIs, and it's totally fine. And I just thought to see that on film, on a Netflix documentary, was was just amazing. Oh yeah, just before we go any further, I know with Great Flicks and Joysticks, usually I will find a disability film and deliberately find points to... um, points to like show the ableism within it this is not going to be one of those episodes i'm going to talk about how much i love crip camp this is basically my letter to the producers of crip camp that i loved it so much and how important it is so you're not going to hear me bashing anybody in this film because i think they did an amazing job and uh so yeah let's continue so then after we hear about the sci outbreak of crabs we then hear judy or we see Judy at 23 talk about caregiving and talk about how everybody has to work together and talk about how giving care and you know and needing that kind of help and needing to give that kind of help is a different thing for a lot of people. And it's a different thing than many people are used to. And I think those sentiments from Judy are important because it's not often talked about how different it is to provide care for somebody or nor is it really talked about how it is to receive care from somebody and I thought that was really really important and I'm really glad that Judy brought it up also right after Judy says that there's a guy whose name I can't remember who was a camper who says something who says you know I can scrub my own balls but there are a lot of people who can't scrub their balls and I'm sure that when they need their balls scrubbed and they need their bodies washed they might feel small and they might feel you know they might feel smaller than they are and that really resonated with me because I am somebody that does need my ball scrubbed I do need my body touched in really intimate ways and I do often feel small about it and so again to hear stuff that I've been thinking in my head for years and years in a film about disability 
finally said, just felt, the whole time that I watched this rewatch, I was nodding my head going, yep, yep, this is amazing. Yep, this is really awesome. Um, and that really resonated with me. And then we talked to one of the, one of the camp counselors, Woodyard, who talked about his experience being a black man and the connections between racism and ableism. And I just thought that was really powerful. He talked about being a black man from the South and understanding what it was like to not be able to talk about certain things, to not be able to bring up certain things, to be careful who you talk to and how you talk to them. And so he's recounting this from his own life, but also saying that when he worked with the disabled people, he saw the same things and he saw the same kind of prejudices pop up when he was providing care to the disabled people. And I just thought that those connections between those two communities of black people and disabled people and the kind of prejudices that we, that both of our communities face was important to highlight. From here, we go into um, a, a disability talk session where a bunch of campers are talking to each other and having meetings about just stuff and what it's like to be disabled. And they're talking about parental overprotectiveness and just having candid conversations about some of the hidden stuff that we all feel, but we don't necessarily say. And again, I think this is vital to see. To see, they talked a lot about privacy and wanting to have their alone time as disabled people and wanting to find their own autonomy and wanting to be alone and not wanting to have to worry to rely so much on their parents. And I felt like these are conversations that I've had with my best friends who are disabled. We have conversations like this all the time. My very best friend, Kristen, who you've heard on the show multiple times and who you've, who's, whose ad so many of you have have used to um, to receive disability-centric counseling. Her and I talk as friends all the time about these issues. And so to hear them talk about it on this in this film was really, really just vital to see and really like, oh, wow, they're talking about me. This is my experience, too. I felt immediately enamored with young Jim Lebrecht and all the people that were talking about this because I've had these conversations myself too. From here, Jim and some of the other campers and counselors talk about the tears on the last day of camp and the sadness because they knew they would have to go into the real world again and they would have to deal with ableism again. And I, it just really resonated with me because every single summer when I had to go home from camp, I cried and cried because I would have to go back to a world where I was the only disabled person in the room. And I would have to go back to a world where I wasn't cool and popular anymore. And when I went to camp, for the years that I went from probably about 12 onward, 13 onward, I was cool, I was popular, everybody wanted to be my friend. And I would ha when I would leave, I'd have to go back into a world where nobody wanted to talk to me and nobody wanted to spend time with me. And so hearing Jim and the others say, you know, after camp, they were the only friend with a disability. I struggle with that feeling 
of going back into my after camp life of being the only person with a disability for years. For years and years, every summer was like my summer of freedom because I wanted so badly to be a part of a group. And finally, I had found disabled people that didn't give a shit that I was disabled. And were like, Let's, I want to be your friend anyway. And camp was like that for me. And going back into the world, the real world, one of, one of the, the talking heads around this in the film, I think it's Woodyard, says, you know, when you left camp, it was like going back in time and going back in, yeah, going back in time. And it was like leaving this safety net that you knew. And I really resonated with that as somebody who went to disability camp for years and years. I really, that really, really spoke to me. Then we cut to a tape piece where the newscaster says, Tonight, we look at them as human beings when he's talking about disabled people. And I thought, wow, what a horribly ableist thing for this newscaster to say. Now, granted, it was like 1973 when this happened. But still, like, wow, you know, tonight we look at them as human beings. Disabled people have always been human beings. We've always been here. And I just find it... You know, through 2022 lenses to hear them talk like that is like, wow, wow, you don't even get it. So then, then from here, the film really takes a turn into Judy kind of becomes the main focus for a little bit. And we talk a lot about Judy's activism. We talk about how, how she created Disabled in Action, the disability group. They talk about deinstitutionalization. Um, they talk about Willowbrook, which was a horribly, horrible institution for disabled people. Um, and they show horrible images of disabled people being, uh, being force fed. And they're t- talking about how they only had three minutes to feed disabled people. And they were left in their own feces and filth. And just showing you kind of how there was still so much work to do and there's still so much um, ableism happening in the world. And then Judy talked about Section 504 of Section 504 of I lost my train of thought. Hang on. Let me, let me find it again. Hang on. So, the early history of federal legislation benefiting people with disabilities includes the Civilian Vocational Rehabilitation Act of 1920, which was passed after World War One, one of the first U.S. laws that provided services for all Americans with disabilities, not just veterans with disabilities. Section 504 brought the language of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 to the Rehabilitation Act of 1973. Basically, what 504 was saying was that any federal building or any building that received federal funding had to be accessible to people with disabilities had to be accessible. This meant schools, universities, hospitals, etc. They had to be accessible to people with disabilities. That's, in a nutshell, what 504 was saying. And they, of course, go way deeper into that, into what that means in the documentary, and you should all definitely watch that part because it was really important. Um, so then Judy talked about 504 and how President Nixon decided to veto 504 because it would it would 
be too costly for, for them to implement all the things that 504 was saying they had to do. And the officials would say stuff like, and you hear them say this in the documentary, they say things like, how many people would really be served by it? So what they're saying is like, if we, if we implement these laws of 504, they're asking how many people would really need this type of, um, accommodation. And I just thought this is so fucking ableist to hear this from the officials. I wasn't surprised, but I was like taken aback when I saw that in the documentary of like, wow, how dare you say that? So then Judy's, um, disability rights group, Disabled in Action, had demonstrations starting in Manhattan. They had disabled people in Manhattan stop traffic in the streets, and they had people saying, the news was saying paraplegics were stopping traffic in Manhattan. Um, they mobilized people in D.C. to talk about 504 and protest for 504. Um, and then as all the stuff around Judy and the protests are happening, we go back to a talking head with Denise, who said that she was homesick for her life at Jeanette, and then she ended up having an affair with the bus driver because she wasn't really getting laid. So she was, she ended up having an affair with the bus driver. And I love this story because it underscores the importance of knowing that disabled people can have affairs and disabled people can fuck people and disabled people can just have great sex when they want to. And so Denise tells us that she had an affair with the bus driver. And one night she had really sharp abdominal pain. She had really, really sharp abdominal pain. And so she went to the hospital and the surgeon looked at her and took out her appendix because it, they, they assumed it must have been her appendix. And then the, the surgeon came back in and said, oh, you know what? We think you might have gonorrhea. And um, they, she she said that the doctor looked at her like, how could you be sexually active, you disabled person? How could you have sex? And so I love that Denise told this story. It's so important that she told this story um, because it reminds us of not only the fact that disabled people can be can be reckless and have affairs and be just like everybody else, but it also under underscores the fact that there's medical ableism that we deal with every single day as disabled people, from surgeons, from doctors, all that stuff. The medical ableism she experienced, they took out her appendix because they didn't think that it could have been gonorrhea in the first place. And so they took out her totally fine appendix um, because they, they couldn't fathom that she could have gonorrhea. And so I really appreciate her telling this story. And then though Denise also is a big kind of fuck you to the people who didn't believe that disabled people could be sexually active, she went and she got her master's in human sexuality. So, Denise, you're a queen. We all bow down to you. That's amazing. So then we go back to Jim, and he finally moved out to California. He moved out to, yeah, California, and he talks about how when he moved out there and he, you know, saw a bunch of other people from Camp Jeanette and from... You know, his life there, he, he finally felt like he was overcoming his disability. And I thought it was really interesting that he used 
the term he felt like he was overcoming his disability because I think this is a really common feeling that a lot of us have throughout our lives as disabled people. When we feel confident and we feel okay, sometimes we feel like we have overcome our disabilities. And I felt connected to that feeling that Jim was feeling of feeling like he could overcome his disability and that was okay. Alongside Jim talking about his experience of moving to California, there were a lot of people from Camp Jeanette who now lived at the Center for Independent Living at Berkeley. And I loved this too because they showed tapes of people using attendant care at the Center for Independent Living at Berkeley and just seeing, again, seeing care being shown in the 70s was really, really cool and really, really really important. And then Denise tells us about, you know, when she when she went to Berkeley, getting in a power chair for the first time in her life and how liberating it was for her. And I thought that this was really important for people to hear because when we think about power wheelchairs, so many of us think about power wheelchairs being confining and being these horrible things. And as you know from listening to my ramblings on this show, I think power wheelchairs are liberating and important. So to hear Denise talk about how important power chairs were for her and her experience of getting in a power chair for the first time, that was really cool to listen to. And then we have a really awesome part of the documentary where they talk about... um, cripples in costume and going to the Berkeley Halloween party and how so many disabled people felt like they were proud and they didn't have to hide from who they were and what they were and how their disabilities affected them. And then they show one of the old campers from Jeanette, Steve Hoffman, doing <laughs> doing this really cool rendition of Rocky Horror, of like, yeah, of a Rocky Horror drag show transvestite thing. It was so funny, and if you if you watch that part of the documentary, it's so, so funny and so cool to see them just playing, to see disabled people just being free and just playing with each other, and I just thought that was really awesome and really, really important to see. So then we jump ahead to 1977, and it's a tape piece where Judy Human is on the news, and they got the newscaster says to her well are you are you still angry are you still upset are you still like angry which I felt was kind of annoying because what they were trying to say is are you still that angry disabled person and Judy has the perfect response Judy says I'm angry but I want to turn that anger around and turn that anger into action And those words, hearing her say that in the documentary really resonated with me because that's kind of what I wanted to do with the work that I do is really take the anger that I have around ableism and turn it into action. So it's 1977, four years after the 504 um, laws came into effect. And Secretary Calfano was not following through on the 1973 law to protect the rights of the handicapped. He wasn't following through on what they, what, what it's supposed to do. So what was happening was schools, universities, and even hospitals 
were lobbying to not have to spend the money to make the accessibility changes. All these lobbyists were saying it's too costly, we don't want to make these changes, do we have to? And the secretary, Calfano, was saying, like, okay, well, I'm just going to drag my feet on this and not take care of it, and nothing was being done. And then we have the talking head from someone named Holland, who is, who at the time was 22 and had just become a paraplegic from an accident, and she talks about how she wasn't really aware of all the movements and didn't really know anything about it and had all the prejudices that non-disabled people had about disabled people, and then she became disabled. So she talks in the documentary about how kind of becoming disabled herself changed her views on disability and, and really spurred her to get involved with the disability rights movement. Still, we have Judy getting non-answers about 504 from officials. Nobody would give her a real answer. And she, they just got fed up. So all the people got fed up. And they were like, hey, we're not going to leave your offices if you're not going to give us answers about 504 and why you won't implement these changes. And so it started, the 504 sit-ins started with them staying overnight. And it was just meant to be one night until they got the changes that they wanted. And this turned into... A real movement. People um, stayed overnight. It became, quote, an army of cripples fighting for the rights. The Black Panthers were involved. People from the Black Panthers would come and bring them food and help them. And the Black Panthers said stuff like, you know, we really care about you and you're fighting to change the world and that's what we're all about, so we want to help you. So to see the camaraderie between black and disabled people in this movement was really, really cool and really important. And they talk in the documentary about the physical stresses that so many disabled people had to put up with, not having access to catheters, not having access to personal care attendants, not having access to any of that stuff. Um, and just for context, the 504 sit-ins happened initially in San Francisco. And then after 15 days of sitting in, with all these disabled people, a group of them went up to, got funding to go up to Washington and got some help to go up to Washington to bring their case to D.C. and talk about 504. And so that's what happened. A bunch of them went up to Washington to continue the fight, and there was only one, um, what I find amazing about it was there was only one news reporter who's, who was really covering it. All the rest of the local media ignored this kind of, this fight, and really only one news reporter really, really was consistently covering the story. When they got to Washington, there was no accessible, accessible transit at that time, like we understand it today, or really there was nothing really accessible for them. So a bunch of machinists hired a U-Haul truck to get them around because there was no accessible transit. And they went to Senator Calfano's house, and he was a coward, and he went, he went through the back door of his home and didn't, didn't assist them right away. And so they... They um, 
they were just like, well, fuck, Calvano, why'd you do that? And then around the same time as the one news reporter followed them from San Francisco to Washington to cover the story, there was a technician strike. So all, so, so what happened was that one story, all the ABC affiliates across the U.S. covered, were, were, were showing that story. So, you know, Calfano could dodge it when it was only in San Francisco, but when it started getting consistent, like, um, national media coverage, Calfano silently signed a 504 into law so that, um, the disabled people could get what they were, what they were promised under this legislation. There was a really fun reenactment of the 504 sit-ins on an episode of Drunk History a couple years ago, uh, where Ali Stroker, uh, played Judy Human, and I just think it's really, really funny and really, really, like, shows the 504 sit-ins in, like, a cool way, too, and featured a lot of disabled actors as well. I'll make sure to put a link to that in the show notes for this episode, because I think you should watch that, too. It was really cool to see that there. Um, so, yeah. After Senator Califano signed 504 into law, this remi- 504 reminds people that they have value, and a lot of the people in the documentary say that 504 and having it enacted you know, showed them that they have value as disabled people and that they did this and that they did this for the human rights of disabled people. Um, they talk about the sweeping changes of 504 and what it's done to for accessibility. And then we end off with Jim talking about how because of the sweeping changes of 504, Jim could finally feel like he could settle into his dis- disabled identity and he didn't have to feel like he was overcoming his disability anymore. He could just be disabled and that's okay. Of course, 504 only goes so far. It doesn't cover everything. It only covers buildings that were, that received federal money. So it doesn't cover everything. Um, and that's why on July 26th, 1990, the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed into law, but as Denise very truthfully reminds us, um, she says right at the end, the ADA being passed into law is a tiny tip of the iceberg. Until we change society, the law doesn't mean very much, and I couldn't agree more with her there. Until we really truly change society, the law doesn't mean very much, and I think we have to work on changing society and changing attitudes in my view, through kindness and through drive and through determination to help people understand that disability will be a part of their lives soon enough. And then as it ends off, you see Jim and Judy go back to Camp Jeanette or the site of Camp Jeanette, which which stopped receiving funding in 1977. It went from 1951 to 1977, um, and then they show some of the campers that you've seen throughout the film, and they're, uh, and they're, they're shown with their dates of birth and dates of death, and it was so sad to see these amazing people no longer here, and I really, really 
would just love this documentary so much. And I think the last scene is you see, you see the, you see them, Judy and Jim hug, and then, then it's over. This film, I think, is required viewing, but I also think that I would love to see just a B-roll of all the summer at camp, and the, the campers at camp, and the counselors at camp, just talking as they did. I would love to see just a film like that. And this film has won a number of awards. It won the Sundance Film Festival Audience Award in 2020. It won, it was nominated for the Best Documentary Feature at the Academy Awards in 2021. Such an amazing film, and I am pleased to have reviewed it. I know that this documentary went all over the shop. Um, sorry, this retelling of the documentary went all over the shop, and I hope you enjoyed this first episode of Great Flicks and Joysticks for our themed month. And we'll be back next week with a new one. Thanks for getting comfy, cozy, and crippled with me. Thanks, listeners. Bye. All right, friends. That's another episode of Disability After Dark in the books. Thank you so much for making this episode comfy, cozy, and crippled. And I hope you enjoyed sitting down with your favorite disabled person on the internet and talking all things disability. Thank you so much for being here. If you want to follow my work, you can head over to my website, andrewgerza.com, or you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at andrewgerza1. If you want to be on the show, you can, of course, email us at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com with your disability story. We'd love to hear from you. If you want to support Disability After Dark, you can go to patreon.com slash disabilityafterdark and pledge as little as $1 a month, up to $5 a month or more, or even a yearly amount if that works for your budget. We at Disability After Dark, me, really appreciate it. Thank you so much for supporting this show and Crippled Co. and all the things we do, and tune in next week when we shine a light on another disability story, right here on Disability After Dark. Bye, friends! Copyright Notice Disability After Dark was created, recorded, and produced by Cripple & Co. Productions and Andrew Gerza. Any and all use of materials, graphics, audio recordings, etc. cannot be used or distributed without express permission. If you would like to use an episode of the podcast or license an episode of the podcast on your website, please consider emailing Andrew Gerza and Crippling Co. Productions at disabilityafterdarkpod at gmail.com. Copyright 2022.